Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So this is how we're going to start this new year. Can you believe it's a new year? And not only a new year, it's also a new decade. So you know how when you're doing your New Year's resolution and and you're thinking to yourself, I've got to be better this year. How's this for some pressure? It's not just a new year. It's a new decade as well, okay? So you've got to do new decade resolutions and decide where you want to be in the next 10 years um, if you've been doing those resolutions and making those plans. Um, But as a church, we just love how the Bible speaks into our lives, how it speaks into who we are as people, it speaks into our identity, and it is able to show us something different than the pressure that we often feel in this world and the, and the anxiety and the fear. It's able to show us how life can be lived at its best, not just through following rules and following regulations, but by meeting a person called Jesus and understanding your identity in Him and allowing God to change you from the inside out, which is far better than any kind of resolution or anything that you could ever decide to do for yourself. So from the time when we started Anchor, um, we decided that we were really going to look at the Scriptures, and we wanted to look at it authentically. We wanted to look at the, uh, just open those books of the Bible and let them speak to us. And so the second Sunday that we ever had church as a church back in April 2015, um, we started in the book of Acts. And we looked at how God uses ordinary, flawed, imperfect people like us to accomplish His will and do extraordinary things. And so when we were done with the book of Acts through the years, we've done the book of Romans, we've done the book of Hebrews, uh, we did the Gospel of John, we did Revelation last year. So we, we haven't shied away for some of the, the heavy, uh, you know, weighty books of Scripture because we felt it was so important that before we do anything in this life, we must establish in our hearts, we must establish in our lives that we know what the gospel is, what the good news is, that we know what the message of the Bible is. And it's not about how to follow a formula. It's not about how to be good at being better. It's not about self-improvement or self-help. The scriptures are ultimately about us meeting Jesus, surrendering our lives to Him, to His grace, to His goodness, and allowing Him to transform us as we behold Him. So that's what we wanted our church to know from the beginning, that it doesn't matter if you're imperfect. It doesn't matter if you struggle. It doesn't matter if you face times where you feel like giving up. Hello, you're just, you're human. You're not just human, but you're human. And we all face those things. And so we looked at how God would use ordinary people, but when His grace impacts our lives, and when we understand our identity in Him, and when we're empowered by God's Spirit, how we're able to live lives that are bigger, that we're able to live lives that are more meaningful, that carry value and, and, and weight, And so this is what we've looked at, and today we're starting with the book of Jeremiah, which is the first Old Testament book uh, that we've done as a church. And we felt like we've done enough of, you know, you you cannot understand the Old Testament until you understand the New Testament. Until you understand the gospel, the Old Testament is a scary place to be. But once you understand what God was doing and how He was leading us to faith in Jesus, then we begin to unlock the Scriptures in the Old Testament. And I, I decided to do something that I haven't done for a while, uh, and earlier, it was just, at, just after Christmas, I decided that I was going to read the Bible in 30 days. I was just going to, it's about an hour or two of reading a day, and uh, you kind of take the Old Testament, and you pretty much read a book a day, and so 
two days after Christmas, I started doing that, worked through the Torah in the first five days, and, and, uh, and, and it's just been an amazing thing. I think too few people actually do that, where they just take the Bible, don't stop to see the sights and to figure out all the theologies and to make sense of it all. Just read it. Just read it from one end to the other, and don't quit, don't stop. And what you begin to see is a bigger picture, a grander story. And as we were doing that, um, reading the book of Jeremiah, just it's been a book that has impacted my life personally in such a powerful way. And so I thought that this is going to be something amazing for us to do as a study. Um, we're going to do this series called Run With Horses. Run With Horses. So if you're taking notes, if you're writing things down, run with horses. And the message I want to share with you today is, are you going to give up? Are you going to give up? A lot of this has been inspired by the book written by an incredible pastor and theologian and author who's been one of, of my mentors spiritually, even though I've never met him just through his writings. Um, incredible pastor and an incredible pastoral imagination, what it really means to be the church and to love people, um, a book by Eugene Peterson. Um, and so this is actually something I've wanted to do for a while, especially because of how I felt in my own life personally that I identified with Jeremiah. Out of all the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah was the one that I felt like we would, if we knew each other today, we would get each other, right? We would understand. We would be able to hang out and have some coffee and talk about some things because I just felt like his life and his passion and, and what he felt and even his complaints, even the realness of the things that he struggled with or battled with in life were things that I had gone through and that I felt. I remember when I was in high school as a teenager and I just started preaching, just started feeling the, the call of God on my life and, and, and I read Jeremiah 20 and there was a verse in Jeremiah 20 that became one of my favorite verses. Because Jeremiah, um, he begins to do what God called him to do, and he, he's preaching the word, and he's sharing the message. And people come against him, and they begin to speak against him, and they insult him, and they exclude him. And I mean, they, they treat him. If you feel like people treat you harshly, they threw Jeremiah into a well, into a cistern, and left him there to die at one point. You know, if you're like, oh, everybody's abandoning me. You've never been abandoned like Jeremiah's been abandoned. And, and he was thrown into a well, and he was left there, and he's gone through all these things, and he comes with these complaints to God at times. He feels overwhelmed, and he shares these complaints, and he shares these things that he's feeling. But one of the things he says to God, and I so just identified with this, he said, God, you, 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 you tricked me because you called me to this, this word, and you put your word in my heart, and, and I begin to speak it. But whenever I speak your word, I'm excluded, and I'm insulted, and, and I face opposition, and people come out against me, and they call me names, and, and this is all the things I battle with. But if I say, I will speak no more in your name, your word in my heart becomes like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I grow weary of holding in, it in, and indeed I cannot. And when I read that verse, it, it hit me. I was like, that's exactly how I feel. Like, when God's word is in your heart, when you realize the truth of the gospel, the passion that it puts in your life to share that message, that hope with others is indescribable. And when you say, okay, no, you know, people are getting offended by me preaching or sharing or like, I'm never going to do it. It becomes like fire in your bones. And, and I love that description so much that when I was um, about 19 years old, I was doing some video editing for a youth ministry and and they wanted to pay me a little bit of money to do that. So I started a production company, and it had fire with two bones, and it was called Bone Fire Productions. How cool is that? From Jeremiah 20 verse 9. And so it was just a verse that spoke to me when I was younger. Um, when we started Anchor, obviously many years later, 
I went through some difficulties in my personal life that I never thought I would go through. You know, how many of you plan for crises? You know, it doesn't keep office hours. You know, when, when things hit your life, they come when you're not ready for them mostly, when you weren't expecting them. And this happened to me just after we started our church. And, and I remember wondering, where does that leave me? If I've gone through this, if I've faced this calamity, if I've had this, you know, this crisis in my personal life, like where does it leave me as a pastor? Where does it leave me as somebody who shares hope, as somebody who is trying to authentically answer the call of God? Am I disqualified? Am I allowed? Can I still preach the message? I mean, where, where does it leave me? And, and I remember God so clearly speaking to me from Jeremiah 1, verse 5, which he says the same thing. Jeremiah was wondering these same things. Am I disqualified? Am I too young? Do I speak well enough? Have I, you know, got what it takes? And God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And God spoke that word into my life in that critical moment. And He said, Adrian, I knew all the things that you were going to go through before you went through one of them. And before you were even born, before one of your days had ever been, I knew you. I chose you. I appointed you and consecrated you, set you aside to be used by me. And, and that's true for all of us. If you're wondering, can God really use my life? Can God really use me to speak His Word or to be an impact or an influence in people's lives? Can I make a difference? Am I qualified? Am I good enough? Am I equipped? The answer is God knew you before you were even born, and He appointed you at that time. And He did it knowing all the ways that you would be imperfect, knowing all the ways in which you would fail. He knew your failures before you knew your failures, and yet He still chose to use you. And when God spoke that word to my heart, it gave me so much courage. I got up and I said, that's it. I, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do. There, there is nothing else to do in this life but follow what God has created me for and created you for. When I realized that God was writing my story, that He called me, knowing how it would all go, it just gave me so much courage. And that same thing is true for you today. So it's a new year, and it's a new opportunity for all of us to pursue life, to pursue the dreams that God has given us. And as a church, this is something that we are very passionate about. We want every single individual in this place to discover their destiny, to discover the reason why God put you on this earth and the unique way in which He designed you, your temperament and your, your gifting and your personality and your experiences, the sum total of everything that you've been through coming to this moment today that makes you an effective tool in God's hands. We believe in living life full tilt in the direction of the plans and the purposes that God has for you. A life that is not just successful as the world defines success. Think about how many lives have been wasted in the pursuit of earthly success. How much money can I make? How can I climb the corporate ladder? How can I get ahead um, in my business? How can, I, how can I prosper? How can I do well? How can I have what's best for me? And people spend their entire lives pursuing these kinds of things only to find out too late that it's hollow and it's empty and it's unfulfilling. We pursue these things with our lives and, and, and our lives become devoid of meaning, devoid of, of texture and, and, and richness and depth and the values that, that make a life 
what it's supposed to be. And so this series is really about how do you live life at its best? In 2020, in all that you pursue, how will you pursue things that, that, that carry weight, that speak truth, a life that's truly humble and powerful at the same time? Does that sound good? Come on, does that sound like something that you would want? Not, not just empty riches and, and, and deceitful things that we pursue and end up lying to us in, in what they're going to do for us, but fullness and depth and richness and all these things that God enables us. It sounds good, right? Then why are we so bad at it? Why are we so horrible at this as, as a people? We know this. None of us want to live empty lives and hollow lives, yet when we find ourselves again, we're still pursuing the same empty things. Even when we wrap it up in some nice wrapping paper and pretend like it's for the greater good and, and it's for all these things, like, you know, you live for yourself 99.9%, but then you gave some money to the fires in Australia, so now you're doing good. We just appease our conscience a little bit, but never truly take hold of what life means. Why do we struggle to live this way? In simple terms, it's the three selves. I know that grammatically is all over the place, but the three selves, the reason why we struggle to live life at its best, the first one is self-importance. We are at the center of our own lives. We make everything about our experience. We, make, we live from the platform of self that it's our value that matters and that we should, we should be the hero of our own story and that we should let everybody else know that we're the hero. We want to be the hero not only of our own stories, but of the stories of others as well. We want to be the most important person in the room. We want to be celebrated in every room we walk into, and we get despondent when we don't get the praise that we feel we deserve. Am I right? It's why we're living empty lives, because we're self-important. We think that life is all about us and my happiness and my comfort and my goodness. It's why we have so much trouble in this world, because everybody's claiming that what is rightfully theirs in their own eyes. So self-importance. The second one is self-promotion. Come on, self-promotion. You've got to constantly let everybody know what your value is because you're not sure what it is. So you feel like if they can feel that you're important, then you'll feel important. We do this all the time in the most subtle of ways. We even do it to one another. How many of you, when you go to a party and you, you meet somebody new, you go, hey, hey, and you talk and you exchange names, the next thing is, so what do you do? And when people say that they're, you know, a plumber, then you're like, cool, man, awesome, well, I'll catch you around, you know? Somebody says, well, I'm the CEO of a major corporation. You're like, oh, really amazing. So tell me more, tell me, you know, like all of a sudden you, you value people according to what their jobs are. And so we feel that to have any kind of value in this world, we must promote who we are. We must create the image of success and the image of, of, of having it all together and being well-rounded and educated and, and smart and wealthy and whatever it is that, that you feel that your peers would celebrate, we end up doing that. We promote ourselves. The third one, which is an enemy of the gospel, is self-improvement. Right? That is the that is the gospel of our world. This is what this world preaches. It's the message that, that we preach day in and day. You need to try harder to be better. That's what most New Year's resolutions are about, isn't it? I'm got, I've got to fix myself. How many of you have written the same resolution down every single year for like the last 20 years? I've got to be better. I've got to try harder. 
I've got to do more. Self-improvement. I, I totally understand the desire to be better. There's nothing wrong with that desire. I desire to be better in many areas of my life, and I pray God always helps me to be a better father and a better husband and a better pastor than I've ever been before. So there's nothing wrong with the desire. The problem is, is that so often in striving to become better as individuals, we actually become worse. Because even though we may become better at certain individual disciplines, like you might eat healthier, or you might go to gym more and, and exercise and be healthier in that way, or you might be better in some of your relationships, or, or in your career you might be more diligent, you might show up on time and, and do what your boss asks of you. You know, you might be better in some areas. But on the bigger picture, you become worse. As a human being, you're worse. You know why? in your striving to be better in this area, and this area, and this area, and this where has your focus been all along? On yourself. So you've just created a bigger monster, and that monster is hungry. And you know what it feeds off of? The affirmation and the accolades that you receive from others. I've worked so hard. Will someone notice? Come on, how many of you, you lose a couple of kilograms and you're just waiting? You're wearing the tightest fitting thing you can find because you're just waiting for somebody to say something because is it, is it worth it all if nobody notices? Can you do something just because it's a value or do you need to be celebrated? So self-improvement puts the focus heavily on us and often moves us away from being the kind of fully developed, mature people that we long to be. People told me, I remember a guy sitting in a car with me saying, you know, I want, can you give me some tips? Because I'm thinking about being a motivational speaker. I said to you, you know what? I'm not a motivational speaker, so I don't have the answers for you. If anything, I'm a demotivational speaker. I'm here to get you to give up. Honestly, I'm here to get you to give up in your own strength, trying to fix yourself year after year after year. And I'm trying to get you to realize that there's only one person who can come into your life and change it from the inside out, and it's Jesus. The gospel isn't self-help. It's the acknowledgement that we cannot help ourselves and that we need a Savior. And it's allowing the Spirit of God, as we behold Him, to transform us from glory to glory into His image. It's something supernatural. It's something that comes through relationship. It's not something you put on a to-do list. It's not something you're going to be able to fix yourself. There's something so deep in all of this. It's by the grace of God. So when people approach the new year, you know, that. There's one of two ways. There's the people that are not yet disillusioned and the people that are already disillusioned. It seems like those, are, unless you have got the gospel in your life, like some people still have got all the spunk. They're like, no, it's a new year. It's a new me. It's going to be awesome. New opportunity. I'm going to live, you know. Other people are already at that place where they're like, you know, it's just another year sitting at the office, doing what the boss asks me to do, getting the kids to school, paying the bills. You know, here we go. Just another year. People get to that place. And, and, and as a result of that, there's a tragedy that we've suffered in our world today as a result of social media and what social media says to us. The idea of living your best life. What is, yeah, have you seen that hashtag? Like people are like living your best life and you've just got to do it. You've just got to live your best life. What does your best life look like? How do we define that? Because I'm all for it. I believe we should be living our best lives. I think that's how God wants us to live. But the problem is how we define it. Usually when it's mentioned online, 
It goes along with sliding images of exotic travels and, and uh, you know, these, these great achievements and making lots of money and having a lot of influence and having the perfect romance and the perfect photographer take a photo of a moment that was supposed to be private, but there was actually a photographer, you know, and, and, and putting it all online, this highlight reel of what a best life looks like. But what nobody hardly, or what, what's hardly ever shown are the hardships of life, the battles, the tears, the difficulties, the disillusionment. And if anybody does share those things, it's usually in a self-serving way. Like, please, everybody feel sorry for me in my hard life. Give me some likes to feel better, you know? Very rarely is what we see online a true reflection of what life looks like. We've just come back from a holiday, and my Instagram has some holiday pics has some photos of the family on the beach, and it looks like a great life. Driving back, though, just one example, driving back, two-day drive down in the Cape Coast, it's far, we've got three little boys, you know, coming back home. We get to the Airbnb about halfway in Colesburg, and uh, we stop at the Airbnb, and, and I realize that I've got to reverse, I've got to get back a little bit to get into the parking, and so I begin to reverse, and as I'm reversing, all of a sudden I hit something. I drove into something. There's this loud bang. Even the people from the Airbnb came out to hear, you know, what the accident was about. And I'm looking back wondering, you know, what did I just drive into? How much money is it going to cost? You know that feeling you get when you hear that, that noise when you've driven into something? And then I realized, I look back and I realized I had driven into myself. I had a trailer on and I forgot. Like who forgets that they have a trailer? And so I, drove, I jackknifed the trailer and ended up denting it so badly and, uh, you know, cracking the light, and the bumper's all messed up, and the one panel skew, and I'm like, why, Lord? You know, how, have, you, have you had that moment? Like, why me, Lord? Why is this happening? So I'm still trying to come over, you know, it's getting dark. I'm trying to get over that. I'm like, I just go quiet. Uh, when I go quiet, it's usually a, it's a bad thing. So, so I'm just like quiet. I'm starting out, but we get the kids into the house. It's getting dark, and uh, there's a packet of food we put in the back, and Lee picks up the packet, and as she picks it up, a yogurt opens up and just pours out over, like, everything. The couch, the carpets, my laptop bag, everything. It was just, like, in the vicinity, just covered in vanilla yogurt. And so I'm, the whole idea of going to the Airbnb was to rest for the next day's journey. Three hours later, I'm still wiping, like, curdling dairy out of the carpets and trying to... I opened up my laptop bag this morning. There's still yogurt in the zip. I think it's, gonna, it's just going to become a part of the bag now. It's just like it's integrated with the material. Um, and none of that stuff made it onto Instagram. None of the, 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 the dented trailer, the broken bumper, the yogurt on the carpet, that didn't make it onto Instagram. But yet, that's how we begin to live life. In, in, in real terms, we're not actually living life. We're living secondhand lives. We're living vicariously through the adventures of others. It's not real living. It's not what it means to really be alive. We've come to the point where rather than going to the gym and getting skinny ourselves, we'll just follow people online who are skinny. And we look at their pictures and feel better. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Rather than going on adventures, we just follow people who go on adventures and let their adventures become our adventures We've substituted something so valuable, something so deep that God has called us to our own adventure, our own story, for the images and the highlights of things that are mostly false, that are mostly not like that. 
And this is why we feel so dislocated in life. Playing rugby in school, for some reason, I dislocated this right shoulder of mine a ton of times. And that feeling of dislocation, when I say the word, I can almost feel when the, when, when the bone is not in the socket, it doesn't feel integrated, it doesn't feel right, it can't carry weight. You know why we feel like life is dislocated? Why we're separated, why something isn't right, why we can't carry the kind of weight that we hope we could carry? The reason is because we've been so hard at work presenting an image of what we long for our lives to be like and what we want to convince everybody else that our lives are like, that when we face the reality of life, it feels like we're imposters. It feels like we're inauthentic. And it feels dislocated. So I want to post pictures of my amazing life, but everyday life is tough. And we feel that separation. But we don't want anybody to know. We want to convince everybody, including ourselves, that we're having a great time. So what does living life at its best truly look like? This is one of the questions that we are hoping to answer through this series. What does living life at its best truly look like? Here's a clue right from the get-go. So if you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you, bring a notebook, bring your Bible, uh, start making notes, writing things down. It just helps get it in your spirit. Um, so if, you, if you've got a notebook here, that notebook your mom got you for Christmas, take it out, take your pen out. Here's a clue right from the get-go. Are you ready for it? Here it is. It's not about you. Your best life, the best life, the most fulfilling life, the most satisfactory life that you could live is a life that's not about you, where you're not at the center, where you're not the hero. And that's not a self-effacing statement. You know, I, I don't like that kind of like, woe is me, I'm just a poor little soul and my life isn't important and so I'm just going to go sit in the corner and think about how not important I am. I'm not going to pursue anything, I'm not going to be faithful to anything, I'm not going to attempt anything because I'm just, you know, lowly little old me. That is not what I'm talking about here. When I say that your best life is not about you, that's actually when you begin to have a revelation and a realization that your life is too valuable too important and too God-ordained for you to waste it running after empty things. Don't waste your life on things that don't matter. You're too important for that. You're too valuable. So take the call of God on your life, the plans and the purposes of the one that created you with great weight and joy and say, this is the kind of life that I want to live. So far from being self-effacing or putting yourself down, it's a powerful realization of God's call to live like Jesus by His grace. Jesus poured Himself out. Paul says in his life, even now I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I give myself, I spend myself in service of others and to the glory of God. I'm here to love people. I'm here to serve people. I'm here to, to do what God has called me to do, not to see how rich I can get in the few years I have on this earth. It's the single most fulfilling thing that you can do in this world. People don't realize that. That's the, that's the problem with this whole thing. They don't realize that the most fulfilling thing that you could do in this world is to live for others to the glory of God. It's more fulfilling than all the money that you can make. 
It's more fulfilling than climbing any corporate ladder or getting to the top of any pyramid. It's more fulfilling than any single thing that you can do. Any relationship, nothing compares to fulfilling God's call on your life. Unhappy people live for themselves. Turns out that your best life is in direct competition with your self-importance. But a fully developed self is thoroughly selfless. And when we realize this by God's grace, it changes everything about how we live. It gives us peace. Now before you go on making another New Year's resolution on trying harder to be better or being better at being better, which really just compounds your self-interest, the answer to becoming a fully developed person, or as Paul puts it, mature, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, James says, mature and complete, lacking nothing. The answer to becoming that kind of a person is not to focus on you, but to develop a relationship, an authentic relationship with God. To develop a relationship that's real with the person who created you, who knows you from before the time that you were born, who ordained every one of your days before there was one of them, to become connected with your Creator and to live a life of faith, to press deep into the wells of God's grace and allow Him to be your mentor, allow Him to be your guide, allow Him to be your Lord. We've all got these mentors and these you know, inspirations that we follow online and people that we, that we read about and we, we try and copy or emulate their lives. But how about in 2020? We begin to allow God to speak into our lives. We allow Him to become our center, to lead us, to show us what's true, that we heed His voice <clears throat> rather than deciding for ourselves what to do. It will bring a refreshing and a lightness. The pressure's off. The pressure, you don't have to measure up to some image that you have in your mind. You can allow God to be, to allow you to be authentically you and fulfill the unique destiny that he has for you. Jesus said this. He made this invitation in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His, his offer is an offer of rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is an image in, the, in that society, an agrarian society, where when two oxen were yoked together to plow the field, they would put an older ox and a younger ox together, and the younger ox wouldn't really do much, but would learn from the older ox who's doing the heavy lifting. And Jesus says, come and be yoked together with me. Let's, let's plow this field of life together. But as we go, you'll learn from me. The Message Bible says, learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's, that's the God we serve. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you, it's like the 12th of January and you're already like, time out, I need a holiday, right? Some of you need a holiday from your holiday, like me if you have kids. You know, you... We feel overwhelmed so quickly, but Jesus says, come to me, take the pressure off, and allow me to show you how life is lived at its best. We all say that we do this. As believers, we all say that we do this, yet somehow we still have this 
immense thirst for wholeness. So before we turn to Jesus, we usually turn to Instagram, to earthly heroes, to fantasies of fulfillment, not really living, but living secondhand. But the Scriptures, what I love about the Bible and this study that we're going to do, even in the life of Jeremiah, it doesn't play that game. Whenever we look for heroes in the Bible, all we find is flawed people. So you can say, oh, I'm going to be like Moses. Oh, let me read about the, oh, shucks, he killed someone. Yeah, he committed murder. Yeah, okay, I'll find somebody new. You know, and you go to the next guy, it's like, oh, wow, he cheated. Yeah, he committed adultery. Okay, I'll go to the next one. And, and, and as you go through and you go through, and every single person that we read about has failed, has cheated, has murdered, has ran away, has complained. Yet, the amazing thing about each of those lives that we read about in the Scriptures is that each of them, rather than being perfect, discovered a unique and original adventure of faith. God had something for their lives in spite of their failures. Completely original and only achievable by plunging themselves deep into the adventure of faith, the life of faith, becoming a participant in the unique story that God was writing with their lives. And that's what I believe God has for us, church. We're not just putting up pictures and say, hey, all of you, try harder to be like this. If you, if you came to church today, if you're visiting with us, and you're like, oh, they're going to tell me how I've got to be better. I hope that's not what you're getting from this. You've got a unique journey. It's been written before the foundations of the earth. You are who you are because God created you that way. But he has an incredible story, and all we've got to do is begin to go on that journey with him, take the next step in our journey. It's completely, uh, completely original. What makes Jeremiah such an amazing study as we go through this is the insight the Scriptures give us into his everyday life. A lot of the, the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, most of what is contained in their books is the prophecies that they shared, which was speaking to God's people, Israel, in a, a moment in history. But what we see with Jeremiah is insight into his personal life. We have more biographical detail about the life of Jeremiah than we have of any other prophet. We know who he was as a person. We know what he battled with. We know what he struggled with. We, know, we knew the doubts that he had, the fears that he carried, the complaints that he brought to God. We see a real man living a life and though he wasn't perfect, he said, yes, Lord. He followed God's path for his life and discovered something incredible. He was able to live a full life, a life of texture, a life of wholeness, a life that carried weight, a life that spoke truth, a life that accomplished great things. Even though in the moment he thought it was, many times he felt like it was all for nothing. He lived an incredible life yet was able to do it without a hint of pride or self-determination. And, and, and that's something that really, again, speaks to me. It's something I've struggled with. One of our values here at Anchor Church is excellence. We believe that excellence inspires man and honors God. And in my own life, you know, I get so frustrated with myself. I go play around a golf. I played around a golf end of last year. Brent was there. It was, it was horrible. It was a dog show. I want to give up. I'm like, I'm not worthy of being on this earth, I shouldn't, why do I try anything? Why do I, I should just quit my job and go wherever losers go. Like, that's what I should do. Like, so many times I just want to be excellent at everything. But how do we strive for excellence 
while at the same time not making life about ourselves, making ourselves the center. Jeremiah is a great example of someone who is truly able to live a fully developed life, yet without a hint of pride or self-importance. So much so that when Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say I am? He was listed as one of the names put forward. In Matthew 16, 14, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So as we go on in the study, we will look at how Jeremiah was able to rely on God in order to become everything that God created him to be. And our hope is that as we look at these scriptures, that you will be able to rely on God and allow Him to transform you into the person He's created you to be, making the difference He's created you to make. Because like we mentioned, the fact that Jeremiah lived the life so fully doesn't mean that he didn't struggle. It doesn't mean that he didn't face opposition, that he wasn't often discouraged or disillusioned or felt overwhelmed, that he didn't have to do everyday normal things, that he didn't go through the motions sometimes. And that's so encouraging to us because so often we all feel like giving up, right? We just feel like it's too much. I'm not going to pursue this anymore. Career, family, health, ministry. Sometimes we don't even have the energy to get the things that we want. Lee and I were home last night and we were hungry at one point. There wasn't food in the house. We just got back from holiday and... and, um, and all we needed to do to be able to eat was get dressed and then go buy something and come back home. But we didn't even have the energy for that. And so we paid someone that we didn't know to ride on a scooter that we didn't own to go pick up food that we didn't make so that we could be fed. And it was glorious. <laughs> right? we, we don't have the energy even sometimes for the mundane things in life, never, the, never mind the major things. We all know that the details of life can wear us away, can eat away at our energy. When we were driving down to the coast, we were talking about the rock formations and everything, and, and, and my boy Jude, he asked how those formations came about, and I said it was, it was water that flowed through there and erosion that created that, and, and he was like, Dad, how can water break a rock? And I said, by persistence, my boy, by just never giving up. And that's what life can feel like. Like, you might feel like, I'm, I'm strong, I've got this, but life can be pretty persistent. And it can take away, it can chip away, even if it's slowly, it can eat away at your energy. So life can feel like that. You may even feel like that right now. Jeremiah felt like that. And in one of his life just doesn't stop moments, in a moment where Jeremiah is absorbed in some self-pity, he's ready to give up, he's frustrated with the injustice of the world and the hypocrisy of the people he's trying to reach, he complains to God. He goes to God and he complains. In Jeremiah 12, verse 1 to 2 and verse 4, it says, Righteous are you, O Lord, this is Jeremiah, his prayer, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Like, have you ever, come on, Christians have done this. I'm sure some of you have done this before. Like, God, I give money to the church. I help the poor. 
I'm, 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 I'm a good person. I do things. Like, I tip at the petrol station. I gave that guy five rand the other day after he washed my window. Come on, God, I'm a good person. Why do I struggle financially? And then those that are just living wickedly, they just make tons of money. Well, God, you know, I, I live my life in purity and, and I'm waiting for the husband or the wife that you're going to send to me. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And you don't send it. And yet these people that are just living life like it's nothing, they, they meet everybody that they, that they want to meet. When are you going to see me, God? And Jeremiah has one of these moments. We've prayed this prayer. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the evil of those who dwell in it? And he goes on to say, but you know my heart, God. Why am I suffering? Why am I struggling when I try to pursue what you have for me? And so he's just fed up. He's fed up with people. He's fed up with injustice and crime and corruption. Does that sound familiar? Come on, you, if you're a South African and you've been on social media, you've already read that this week. The crime, the corruption, the load shedding, you know, the traffic, the injustice. Jeremiah felt it as well. So he goes to God and he complains. Here's God's answer, which is also the foundational scripture for the series that we'll be doing. In Jeremiah 12, verse 5, God says to Jeremiah, If you've raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you run with horses? If you've raced with men on foot, just going through the everyday mundane things, and that's already worn you out, how will you live the supernatural, extraordinary life that I've called you to? He goes on to say, if you can't deal with, with Israel in a time of peace, what will you do when the real war breaks out? In other words, Jeremiah, I hear your complaint, but I want you to know I've called you for more. I've graced you for more. I need you to rely heavily on me because I have called you for more than just getting fed up with everyday things. There is a supernatural life that I have in store for you, a calling that will accomplish great things. And so in essence, what God says to Jeremiah is, yes, Jeremiah, yes, Anchor Church, life is difficult. It's tough. Are you going to give up? Are you going to give up at the first sight of trouble? Are you going to retreat and make life all about just finding three meals a day and, and, and a dry place to sleep? Are you going to run home the moment you feel your comfort is disrupted? Are you going to live cautiously or courageously? What is it that you really want, Jeremiah? What is it that you really want, Anchor Church? To shuffle along with the crowd or to run with horses? See, God did not call you or me or Jeremiah or anyone else to live a safe life. Life is not about safety. We're grateful for it when we have it, but it's not about it. Life is not about comfort. Again, we, we love it when we get to be in a place where it's comfortable, but it's not about comfort. We won't risk the great call of God in our lives for the sake of our comfort. Life is not all about you and making yourself happy and giving yourself everything that you feel that you need in order to be safe and comfortable. If you do that, all you'll ever do is shuffle along with the crowd. 
but God has called us to run with horses. Life at its best. Not a safe life, but a significant one. A life that makes a difference. Pursuing the reason for which Christ pursued us in a unique God-honoring story that we all get to live by His grace. Eugene Peterson writes this, he says, it is easier, I know, to be neurotic. It is easier to be parasitic. It is easier to relax in the embracing arms of the average. Easier, but not better. Easier, but not more significant. Easier, but not more fulfilling. How are you gonna live in 2020, Anchor Church? Easy or better? Easy or significant? We all get to make that decision. Jeremiah didn't answer God immediately. He said, are you going to give up when it gets tough? I've got more for you. I've got bigger things. What are you going to do, Jeremiah? He doesn't answer immediately. I can imagine that he went home and weighed his options, counted the cost, lay awake at night a couple of times, wondering whether he had what, he, what, what it would take. And then he made his decision, like we all have to. But here's the thing. He never spoke his decision verbally. He never gave God an answer verbally. He gave it biographically. In other words, what we read about the incredible life of Jeremiah after God asks him that question was his answer, yes, Lord. I will run with horses. I won't settle for an ordinary life. I won't run after things that are empty. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul? I will not forfeit my soul for things that are not of eternal value. Yes, Lord, I will run with horses. He didn't say it. He lived it. What about you, Anchor Church? In 2020, are you going to give up the first sign of trouble when it gets tough? Are you going to just retreat back into your routines that help you to feel comfortable? The things that distract you from the truth that there is more to life? Or are you going to live the way God has called you to live? giving everything that you have, relying on His grace, running and not growing weary, pursuing things that have eternal value. Are you going to give up or are you going to run with horses? This year and every year thereafter. And that's what we're going to explore in this series. You're like, I, I want to run with horses, but how do, you, how do you even begin? You begin by having an authentic relationship with Jesus. And we're going to look at how you can build that relationship, how you can trust in God, how you can endure difficult moments, how you can pray through some of your hardest times, how you can, how you can live this kind of life during this study. And I felt like that's where God is calling us to as a church in this year. So are we going to do that, church? Are we going to run with horses? You don't have to answer me now. You're going to answer by how you live your life in 2020. Won't you stand with me as we pray today?